And a covenant touches even the silent places, the the locked places of, of my life, my mind. That's not a that's not for the courts of of this earth. That's for a God who made me and I reflect his image. And now he says, no, this covenant has to do with your even your thoughts. That sets it apart from any other law in the history of this planet. And I had I had never realized that. I had never reflected on how just the op- the, the first and the tenth commandment bookend the entire law as to say, by the way, this is really after the most inner part of who you are. This is not a, a conduct. This is not a, a, a you do it and, and you, you can check it off. This has to do with the very core of who you are, even your thoughts. I don't know about you, but I've always had a love-hate relationship with God's law or the Ten Commandments as they are often referred to as. In one sense, when I read them, it is obvious to me that they represent universal principles of truth, righteousness, and justice. The idealist in me gravitates to the wonder of living in a society where demonstration of these words permeate the thoughts and actions of its citizens. On the other hand, there is a part of me that absolutely cringes at this law, mostly because I can't and often don't even want to live up to these standards in my own life. When I read the words in a moment of self-reflection, I can't help but gasp in utter self-condemnation. So it is clear to me that my mind and my heart are not in harmony with one another. And I believe it is this way with most of us, all of us for that matter. We know what is right. We can recognize right and wrong when we see it. And yet how to actually do it? That is the question we can't seem to answer. So what do we do with a law that we can see is right, just, and true, and yet at the same time makes us feel condemned when we look at it? Well, I suppose we have three options. We could just grit our teeth and force ourselves to keep trying to do the impossible. We can wake up every day and resolve to keep the law by sheer willpower. This, of course, is what many have tried to do over the years, including the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' day. In fact, I have met many Christians today who still believe that keeping the law is a choice any of us can make at any time. However, I believe this viewpoint minimizes the power of sin in the nature that we are born with. I talk about this quite a bit in episodes 5 and 13, so I encourage you to check those out. The second option, of course, is we could just minimize or do away with the law completely. This seems like the most convenient option and allows us to admire the law from afar, like we would when admiring some other ancient relic at a museum of natural history and science. Yes, there was a law at one time, but now it no longer applies to us. We can live and do as we please without feeling bad about it, or worse, we get to pick and choose which parts of it are still relevant today and which parts are not. Of course, this viewpoint, by far the most popular and common today, minimizes the will of God and our accountability to him for how we live our lives on this earth. But there is a third option, and in short, we often refer to it as the gospel. And yet so many of us don't really think about how the gospel affects our relationship to the law. Is the gospel antagonistic to the law as many suppose? Or does the gospel open up to us a whole new understanding and appreciation of God's law? not merely as commandments, 
but something so much better. To talk about this more, I had the privilege to interview fellow colleague in ministry, Michael Getz, who currently serves as the senior pastor for the Campion Seventh-day Adventist Church in Loveland, Colorado. I first met Michael in seminary, and we have stayed in touch ever since. Michael is not only a strong preacher, but a passionate teacher and student of the Word himself. I know you will thoroughly enjoy his insights into this topic as much as I did. Interestingly, I had never heard how Michael ended up deciding to become a pastor. And so I started the interview by asking him when he began to feel the call to ministry. Uh, It's kind of a fun story, at least for me. Uh, In high school, uh, pretty much thinking I wanted to do some form of of law enforcement, advanced, uh, you know, crime fighting. Uh, And so that's what I was thinking. And then there was a teacher that started a little ministry called SOY. It was an acronym, S-O-Y, Serving Other Youth. And we went out on weekends and went to little churches, uh, even larger churches, but it was specifically geared so that little churches with just a handful of young people would see other young people excited about their faith. And so we were going out there, and at one church in Moses Lake, Washington, they invited us to speak, and so they put me on and said, hey, you know, you take do a little sermonette. I did this sermonette, and I walked off, and it was a light bulb that went off, and I just said, I, this is something... This is something that I want to spend my life doing. Strangely enough, I had no idea about how ministry worked. I, I assumed that the offering plate was the income. Uh, I didn't want to. I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to financially struggle. I wanted to. So I was really nervous about entertaining that. But uh, the teachers set me down with our pastor there at the academy, and he he wouldn't tell. He said, "I'm not going to tell you how much pastors make, but uh, we get." a normal salary, an expected income. So I, I take a little bit of detour after high school. I, I go to a Bible co- non-Adventist Bible college, get a degree, go to Montemorelos in Mexico, Adventist University, get a, um, a part of my master's in counseling, a, a bachelor's degree in theology. I come back. It's after 9-11, and... I'm saying, all right, God, I'll give you, uh, you know, a couple of years, see how this thing works out. And the very first district, it's uh, in Pennsylvania, they are looking for to bring on individuals who can work alongside law enforcement officers on the street, who can be a kind of a, a calming presence, can be there for crisis. 9-11 had happened, and so all these agencies are thinking, you know, what if something happens? Uh, we need people that are equipped that can wear the uniform and be uh, uh, kind of a a chaplain, as mm-hmm. it were, on the on the go though, on in the in the squad cars. And wow. so uh, it was as if God had said, "Look, you gave me, you surrendered your dreams to me. I'm going to give it back to you." And I got uh, on with the department, uh, uniformed, badged equipped and I worked for the department while pastoring a, a small church for a couple of years and God just said hey I'm going to give you this taste you you dreamt of this I'm going to give you a little taste of it and um while I wouldn't mind doing it he he 
he scratched that itch and he satisfied that and said, look, I can take care of it. And from that point on, I never had a question about what he wanted me to do and what I wanted to do for him. Wow. Yeah. I didn't, I never knew that. That's, that's a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, around that same time, nine 11, I was actually serving as a student missionary in the Marshall islands. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Um, and, um, and I can remember distinctly, uh, just being there for like a month. And, um, when, when nine 11 happened, I just knew that we were not living in ordinary times anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it was a very profound moment for me. Um, and it was probably since it was very much around the time that I was awakening to God's call in my life, probably gave it even more significance. Um, but, uh, yeah, I came back after that year and, um, and, uh, that was the trajectory that, uh, the Lord put me on. And, uh, yeah, eventually we uh, ended up at seminary around the same time. I think it was around 2007 and, uh, you were getting ready to finish. And I think I had a year left. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so the Lord took you from there to, uh, did he take you back to Pennsylvania? Back to Pennsylvania for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and now you're, you're, you're in Colorado and, and so, you know, you, you have that background with, with law and enforcement and, you know, a lot of times when people read the Bible, Mm. um, they have this picture of the Bible as being this book all about law, um, Mm. or they have this idea that, um, uh, that that God is you know very much concerned about rules, very much concerned about um, you know our behavior, and um, and a lot of people have this this kind of almost fear of God, and maybe uh, a a hesitancy to come to church. Uh, maybe somebody who's listening to this podcast they've they've just kind of you know um, maybe they've explored Christianity a little bit, but they're you know, they're just saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not good enough because I, I'm still kind of, you know, under the shadow of this law. And, and, and I, I understand you've been studying this for, for a while. And, and recently you, you've, uh, you know, really kind of been digging into the, the law of God and, and maybe kind of, um, finding some new insights. Mm-hmm. So, um, share a little bit with us, some of the things that you've uh, uncovered or maybe you've been sharing with your church recently about uh, the Ten Commandments in particular. So that's kind of a, a fun little story as well. Uh, I take a journey every year, four chapters a day, plus one psalm to read through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. I, I know there's chronological and other more creative ways to do it, but for the simplicity of my little mind, I just do the four chapters plus a psalm. And uh, so you read through the psalms twice, but uh, everything else, just four chapters plow through. And I'm, and every time I do it, I've done it for a number of years now, every time you kind of just catch a little bit of a different wind. And, and this last year, uh, so the spring, the winter, spring, into the early summer, I'm reading and just catching these these verses about the law of God, but uh, but more like Jeremiah 31, 
where this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After this, I'll put my law. So it's this mix of covenant law language. It's um, Deuteronomy 6. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I know we, we've read that, and Jesus repeats that, uh, later, that love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But in the context of the law, here's this, here's God going, but love with everything you've got. And it's just, I'm, I'm watching this thread through scripture. So I get to the summer and the summertime is, uh, I take a, a few days, a week to kind of build the sermonic calendar for our uh, parish there in Loveland. And so the other pastors on the team and the worship leaders can all kind of see the thematic uh, journey. And I, I, it would, it almost be an accident, but it was really providential. I come across a book entitled Smoke on the Mountain by Joy Davidman. I'd never read anything by Joy before. Uh, and so I was interested I don't even know who that is. Can you can yeah. you tell us who she is? She's got a crazy story. Okay. She read C.S. Lewis's, she was an atheist. She read C.S. who we all know was a former atheist and then converted and, and just has this very beautiful apologetics, right? And so she's reading his writing and she's converted. She's converted by C.S. Lewis's writings, goes to meet him, they end up falling in love, and Joy Davidman marries C.S. Lewis, a convert uh, from his writings. So two former atheists are now married. But Joy Davidman has a bright mind, and um, her her writing I find a little bit uh, more technical than Lewis's. Uh, I don't know that she couldn't write easier or simpler, but uh, she, she writes well. She writes well. So in this book, Smoke on the Mountain, she opens it with this story that just jumps off the page to me. It's, it's, uh, she says, look, thousands of Christians uh, see Christianity as, as just kind of an old, joyless, uh, I've got to be good, God wants. And she's saying, if, if Christians see it that way, what about the rest of the world looking in? How we see, we, we think of this religion as kind of the enemy of life. And um, so she, she tells a story of, of this old chief. She says, uh, an old African chief whom a missionary is trying to convert. And so uh, he says to the, he says to the, the, the missionary says to the old chief, you know, you've got to be faithful to God's law. And the chief listens patiently and then he responds. He says, uh, okay, I don't understand. You tell me that I'm not supposed to take my neighbor's wife. That's right, says the missionary. That's right. Or his ivory or steal his oxen. Yep, you've got it, says the missionary. I must not dance the war dance and then ambush him on the trail to kill him. Yes, says the missionary. You're absolutely right. You're getting it. The missionary is all excited. And Joy Davidman is just, just 
telling the story uh, beautifully. And the chief then responds, but I can't do any of those things anyway. I'm too old. And then the chief says, to be old must be to be Christian. And, wow. and so Joy Davidman takes this and launches off and says, look, that's what we've, with this picture we've painted to young people and said, look, uh, young people are saying, oh, you guys, you guys don't mind being good Christians because you're just old and you've had all your fun and you don't, but we, and there's this, there's this terrible picture that's been painted. And then she says something funny. She says, we can accidentally keep the law. We can accidentally keep the commandments. This, these same commandments that, that God, Jesus both repeat saying, look, this is an incredible love relationship. Keep this commandment, bind it on your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Let these, let him write this law, this covenant on your heart, this incredibly intimate and profound covenant relationship. We've treated as if, if you're old, and you don't want to work on Sabbath, and you don't, you have everything you need, and you don't covet anybody else's possessions. You're not going to cheat on your wife. You're not going to uh, lie. You're just, you're just old. You can almost, at the end of life, be keeping the commandments the way we've kind of presented them as this. And we all say, no, they're not a checklist. You know, it's it's a law with our God. But we treat them like that. Mm-hmm. Look, I don't, I don't. Ch- cheat. I don't lie. I keep the Sabbath. And so Joy Davidman got me going on this and I'm, I'm in her debt. She says, uh, and let me just quote her book. The real trouble with the 10 commandments today seems to be that we, we frequently manage to obey most of them without much difficulty, not from virtue, but from lack of the animal energy to break them. Mm. that's why she's just saying right you get old and you kind of fall into it and so i'm i go back to these verses that i've underlined in my bible the even into the new testament now john 14 verse 12 if you love me keep my commandments uh culminating revelation 14 here's the patience of the saints here are those that keep the commandments have the faith of jesus just tying it directly with our relationship with god and so that started me on a journey, and I, I said, man, we've got to clear 10 weeks uh, to go over each one of the commandments in our fall sermonic calendar to, to look at each one of these. And it was a fascinating, fascinating journey. Um, one of the first things I, I came to was somebody calling my attention to the very material of the law and uh, Exodus 24. We know that it talks about Moses and Aaron and the elders, 70 elders that are going up uh, onto the mountain. And in verse 10 of, of Exodus 24, it says, and they saw the God of Israel and under his feet was something like pavement made of sapphire as bright blue as the sky. And so there's this picture of they see God, the this, this 74 of them, right? The, the, they're all looking up, the elders and Moses and Aaron, and they see God and he's standing 
on this blue pavement. Ezekiel uh, chapter 1 tells us that above the firmament, over their heads was the likeness of a throne, and its appearance was like sapphire stone. So Ezekiel t- says, yeah, by, by the way, that was the throne of God. It's it's that sapphire blue. Uh, so they're seeing this. What was interesting to me, uh, two, two, two takeaways. Number one, uh, there is a scientific reason why the sky is blue. We understand that the sun gives light and it's... Uh, you know, it scatters that it's the tiny water molecules. We, 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 we can scientifically break that down, but who gave us the science behind that? I, I just think to myself, God wanted, uh, he's the one that put it, made it that way so that it would reflect the color of his throne. That whenever we look up in the sky, we're reminded of the God who still rules the, the universe and can rule and have a relationship with us. Wow, yeah, I've never even thought about that. Just uh, as you know, the sky itself as being a uh, a a reflection or, a, or an insight into God and and how He wants us to view us. Because sometimes you think about like the night sky, mm-hmm. and and you go back and you think about Abraham, and and of course you can go back to the creation story on the fourth day of creation. Um, but but particularly, I think at least for me, you know, thinking of the sky, I think of Abraham and God pointing to the stars and saying, you know, your, your descendants will be like the stars of heaven. If you can count them, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And, uh, and, and so you're, you're, you, you do that. I mean, I've gone out there at night and I've looked at the sky and I've just been blown away in, in the sense of, of that. But, but I really appreciate that, that insight into the, just the day sky too. You know, there's, there's that, the sun and then there's the blue sky and uh, yeah, there, there's probably some some stuff to go into there. So so this this journey continues. So tell me again, what 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 did you discover through this process? Okay, so the first one was the the just the reminder that when when Psalm talks about in nine, chapter nineteen uh, that the heavens declare the glory of God. Right, we always think of the night sky, but the, what about the day sky? Yeah, yeah. So that's just this reminder that God put it that way. Yes, there's a science behind the blue, but it's it's on purpose. The second is back to the Exodus 24 verse. So the Moses and Aaron and 72 others are looking up. They see God standing on the sapphire pavement. Ezekiel says that's his throne. And then verse 12 back in Exodus 24, says, The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. We know that that God wrote with his finger and and inscribed them. Uh, some of the, the rabbinic tradition actually believe that God uh, when he burned into that stone, burned all the way through them. So you could see, you could see it from both sides, and and they say you know it's just kind of mysteriously that you can read it both directions, but it's it's all the way through the stone. Uh, but what is often missing, most often, I don't know many of the mainstream English translations that bear this out, but the Hebrew invites the some specificity to which rock. It, it actually says something more like um, God saying to Moses, come up 
and stay on this mountain, and I will give you the tablets of the stone, referring to the stone or the pavement that they had just seen. And so the conclusion is that, and we've often heard it, that that the law, the original tablets, were sapphire blue. Not rock from the top of the mountain, but rock straight from heaven. This was so important that not we we will often re, re, you know remind ourselves that God wrote it. It was so important. God wrote it with His own finger. This was so important that not only did God write it with His own finger, but He used material from heaven mm. and handed it to Moses. Blows my mind. He took a a corner of His throne, chipped it off, and handed that piece a rock that actually was in heaven and handed it to Moses. Wow. And that says to me, whoa, we have got to re rethink this whole picture of what the law, as we call it, the Ten Commandments, really is. Uh, what it really means, what God meant it to be. Mm. And so that started me on this journey looking at it. And one, one of the next... Uh, and you can stop me anytime. I'm just going to keep plowing. You, you, no, man, you you're good. Me. Okay. So one of the next s- surprises for me, uh, and and I'm not the, sh- I may not be the, the the brightest, but I, you know, I've got my bachelor's and and master's and doctorate, but I had never, that I know of, or that I can remember, heard this that that the biblical description of the Ten Commandments is not commandments. It doesn't use that language. We use that language. The, the Bible doesn't. It Actually, in the, in the opening of the law, it describes them as the words. Mm-hmm. It, that's, that's, why, that's why we have the, decal, the Greek decalogue, 10 words. And that's what the Bible uses. These are 10 words of covenant. It's saturated with relationship language. We're the ones that have come up with, oh, it's the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Because we, quite frankly, probably wanted it to get off a little easy. Hey, it's just Ten Commandments. You just you just obey the, the law. No, but this is the Decalogue. That's that's the expression of ten words of relationship. These are ten I do's. These are what we would say in uh, wedding language, mm-hmm. right? We would We would call them the... The vows that these are my vows, and that's more of what God was aiming at. That's why God spoke all of these words, not all of these commandments, but all of these words, because these these were His vows, not only from us to Him, but from Him to us, that He is going to be faithful to keeping. Uh, he makes it very clear in in Psalm eighty nine. My covenant, I will not break. I will be faithful to those 10. And you say, well, it's easy. You know, God's not going to covet somebody's wife. or What we're totally missing, the, the, the depth and the relational elements of these when we just write them off as, as uh, the, well, yeah, just, it's a checklist. It's an action. It's a... Um, no, God says, these are covenants I'm going to be keeping with you. These are the vows between us. And so it's so much more beautiful. And the law, the Decalogue, the 10 words of covenant 
have just come alive to me with those lenses, looking through the lens that God took, took not only wrote him with his finger, but took rock from heaven or, or the sapphire from his throne and wrote on it. Uh, because now I, I imagine it doesn't, it doesn't bear this out strongly, but it does allude to the fact that if he took a, a part of that blue pavement, that sapphire on his throne, that there is a little chip in the corner and that all heaven sees God's throne and says, oh yeah, there's that kind of like when, when you got kids around your house and there's, there's a little, uh, in my house upstairs, right next to the beanbag, my kids jump on, there is a, there is a, just a little round indention in the in the, the drywall, drywall <laughs> where my son's hit, head has hit. And so they laugh about it. They look at it and they're like, yeah, I remember when your head bumped right there. And uh, that's what heaven does when they look at the throne of God. Hey, there's a, God is faithful to that covenant. He's reminded about it. His very throne bears it out to the universe. And then, and then the picture that these, God didn't describe these as commandments at all. He described them as 10 words of a covenant. Mm. And we have ran, and and Christianity, Travis, Christianity has ran with these. Hey, we need to post the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, public places. Well, the devil's devil's cheering that on all the way because he doesn't mind the idea of a Ten Commandments. He doesn't want ten vows of a relationship. Wow. So, so when you're saying this, you're seeing this relational element to to the. And I'm about to say Ten Commandments, but the Ten <laughs> Vows, mm-hmm. uh, because it is so common. Uh, and you look back, and of course, you look at Israel, and you mentioned the church, and and how you know when you look at the the our attempts at keeping the Ten Commandments, um, and the very nature of like what you're what I hear you saying is by calling them commandments, um, we're already putting ourselves in a position in a relation to God that almost makes it impossible for them to keep because we are, are viewing them as obligatory or as um, some sort of, uh, of, of duty, but not necessarily um, connecting it in, in that relational context. Like you were just describing about of a vow, which, which is really in a, in a marriage ceremony. That's, that's a, that's a lifelong bond. That's a commitment. That's a covenant. And, um, and so, outside of that, uh, you know, it it can feel, um, you know, like, hey, if I don't do this, God's not going to love me. But what you're saying is, hey, God's already committed to loving us, and He's trying to show us His love through these through these words. And and when we realize it, then that's what kind of, you know, opens us up to their true purpose or meaning mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're saying yes yes you you've you've let us down a great way just uh with the lenses that god himself has entered into this covenant with us means that he will not covet his neighbor's goods meaning we're his and he's not going to look around the universe and go oh man i wish i had somebody else I wish, I wish those people were in my image. I wish that was in my image. I wish, no, he looks at us and says, I'm committed to you. Mm. I am committed to you. And, and I'm not going to covet something else. I'm not going to covet who I wish you would be. I wish you were somebody different. 
No, I like you for who you are. Now, it doesn't at all change the fact that he's going to challenge us into keeping those vows. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's drawing us in the everlasting love. I'm going to draw you into this commitment of vows. That's the whole Hosea and Gomer, right? Yeah. That, hey, go get her again and buy her back and bring her back. It's the story of the cross that says, I'm not giving up on you. I'm committed to these vows forever. I'm going to be faithful to my vows. And now I'm, I'm going to draw you in. And with that love, I'm going to get you to be uh, committed to those vows as well. Yeah. And, and just in my own personal study, I've also seen, you know, this covenant, you know, with humanity, but because we couldn't or wouldn't see God the way that he wanted us to see him, it was only Jesus who, who was one with the father, who, who was one with him from eternity as, as coming here, um, as a man, he came here, um, you know, with the flesh and blood of humanity, he became one with us. And yet he is the one who, who fulfills this covenant back with the father for us. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, and as you know, you read, uh, you know, the, the new Testament specifically, you know, you see that, Hey, you know, he was the light, the, the light of the world. You know, it says, you know, he was the truth. He was the way he was the life, you know? And and so all these different, um, descriptions of Jesus, let me interrupt you. What was John's first description of Jesus? John, the gospel writer. Um, in, in John chapter one, in John chapter one, what did he call him? The word made flesh, the word. Wait a minute. The word. That's exactly how we're introduced to the covenant. These are the words which God gave his people. The Decalogue, 10 words. That's right. And then John jumps in and says, and the word, the word, that very covenant was made flesh and dwelt. So anyway, keep going. No, no. I I was just, you know, just kind of trying to, uh, you know, unpack and try to, you know, understand exactly what you're coming from and just seeing it as, cause you, you were, you mentioned the fact that, yeah, God wants to have this vows and this, and it's not like he doesn't want us to keep them, but, but the, my point was just bringing up Jesus was just, Hey, that is the, our way to keep them. You know, there, you know, he's the one that opens the way mm-hmm. to the father, right? No one can come to the father except through him. And, and so if we want to understand the true meaning of the word, we have to be connected to the word. <laughs> and, and so I, I like, you know, where, where you're going with this. And, and I, I know there was, you know, several insights that you gain directly from the, uh, the 10 words. Um, and maybe we don't have time to go through every single one of them, but what were some of the significant things that you, uh, maybe several of the, some of the insights that you gained as you go through each one of these, um, these vows, these 10 vows, you know, what, what, you know, cause let's, let's not stop calling them commandments, right? Let's, let's, let's embrace this new way of seeing, seeing these, um, seeing God's, God's law here. So what, what were some things that, you know, you found profound or, or just generally, uh, some things that you shared that, that you really, uh, got excited about. So, the 
so w- watching them through these lenses, uh, you jump into the first of the 10 words, which is Exodus 20, verse 2 and 3. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This is radically different. Uh, we would say for the people of antiquity, but it's really radically different for anybody throughout history in that we are so much used to, um, as it were, my journey with Uncle Sam. He expects a certain amount of taxes from me, the government. I give him my taxes. What I do with the rest of my life is not, he not overly concerned even in in the micro level let's say um the a police officer uh stopped me for speeding and i would say to the police officer and this would be maybe along the interstate i-25 in colorado along the front range of colorado and he would say you know you're speeding you're breaking the law and i would i maybe i would say to him yes Maybe I was, but I want you to know I was keeping the law in Russia. There's a Russian law that it's illegal to have a dirty car. True. It's true. It's true, according to the World Wide Web, at least. So I have a clean car. Well, does that mean anything to him? No, it's of no concern to him. Or or maybe instead of having a clean car, I have a dirty car. And so now I'm nervous. Oh, no, he's going to find me not only for speeding, but for breaking the the law uh, in Russia. And he's going to say, I don't care if your car is clean or dirty because that's a law. The law governs only what it doesn't, you can, you can obey multiple laws uh, of different entities. But when it comes to a covenant, that's different. That's when I covenant with my wife, I can then not tell her why I also uh, follow a covenant with other people, mm. other women. It, it's a, it's not, but laws, laws. You can, it's he, the the United States doesn't care at any state or municipal level whether I have a dirty or clean car. But and so that's how the people of antiquity thought too. They had multiple gods that they were trying to, and this, you know, you read these stories and and by by obeying one god, god they would sometimes offend another god, and so they were constantly kind of bouncing back and trying to. And then here comes the Jehovah God, and he just wipes everything clean and says, "I'm your god. Mm. I'm one and only. This is you and me. Nothing else. Everything else. This is a covenant." This is not a law. Otherwise, everybody else was handing down laws. That's why uh, one of the multiple gods could hand down a law and you would you would try to obey that and you could obey other, you could have multiple gods. But in a covenant, you cannot have multiple gods. And so God says, we're not doing a law here. We're not doing the commandments. We're doing a covenant. I'm going to mm. speak these vows to you. And that opening commandment not only says, I, I want to be your God. You only have me. But it also says, you do have me. Yeah. It's not only, I am, I am only committed to you. And you can be only committed to me. It is this two-way street. God is, by asking them, listen to it again. You shall have no other gods before me. 
is his declaration that he is in fact my God. Right. Yeah. And, and when you're saying that, it made me think about like, you know, we're Americans. We live in this crazy fast paced world. You know, we have more conveniences and we have more money and we have more, almost anything that we've ever had in, in, in the history of the human race. Mm-hmm. And yet everybody is frazzled. Everybody is stressed. Everybody, you know, just feels like they're almost like in prison because I think like you were just saying, we're trying to please, maybe not quote unquote, we don't call them gods, but it's like, oh, I have this social media account. I got to keep track of, I got this, you know, um, these people over here, you know, this hobby group that, you know, I need to keep them, you know, keep a relationship to them. And we're trying to keep like these, these relationships and these commitments with, with all these different entities at the same time, whether it's our kids or, mm-hmm. you know, our work commitments, it's our church, you know, you mentioned our, your wife, you know, and, and then it's like, where's my time, you know? And, and, and so what, what happens is right, right. We end up robbing it from everyone. We're, we're trying to, I'm trying to please, you know, for me, for me, I'll just say for myself, I'm trying to please a church member, but in doing so, maybe I'm neglecting spending time with my wife. You know, I'm trying to, you know, keep track of, of this social media account, but maybe I'm, I'm not, you know, you know, spending more time in, in, uh, you know, building a, a relationship with mentoring someone at the church, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so almost like you were saying, every time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And, and what I hear you saying is like, Hey, when you look at that first commandment as a covenant, it's like, you don't have to worry about all these other things, you know, just focus on this one thing. And, and I'm going to focus on you focus on me and, and then we'll, we'll start taking care of this other stuff. But, but, but when we don't do that, we put him on the same level as everything else, then, um, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly, you know, disappointed or, or just, uh, stressed. So I don't want to, I, I want to come back to the first and, and, uh, the relationship it has with the 10th commandment, but to follow what you're saying, uh, Jesus stands up one day and begins to deliver what the people are very used to. They understand the whole mount of blessing and mount of cursing. It's been recited for generations and generations. They know that experience. And he stands up and begins to recite blessings, and we call it the Sermon on the Mount or the Mount of Blessings. And they they very much understand what he's talking about. It was the this experience of the rabbis uh declaring the cursings and the blessings for blessings for being uh, committed to the law of God and cursings if you weren't. They understood exactly what Jesus was doing. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' sermon on the law. If you were to invite uh, Jesus to take your pulpit in Daytona, say, we, we, we're, you know, we want to talk about the law, the Decalogue, the Ten Words of Covenant, can you preach a sermon on that? He would do Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's the sermon on the law from Jesus. And in the heart of that, Jesus stands up and says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things, which are the things you were talking about. What about providing? What about caring for my church? What about caring for my family? What about, what about, what about? He says, they're good. They're, they're not bad. But good things can even be gods. 
Mm-hmm. And so he says, there's no other, seek first the kingdom of God and my righteousness and all of these things will, will, will be taken care of, will be added to you, he says. So Jesus unpacks, if Jesus were to preach the Sermon on the Law, he would say exactly what you said. Yeah. Amen. So can I jump back to Exodus though? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so the first commandment is this commitment from God to us that he will be our God. Uh, though there's something more there because thou shalt have no other gods before me is not an action like thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not steal. It's not an action like that. God's actually, it bears them out. God's can actually be in the dark places of your mind. And that's a whole nother uh, unpacking of the second and third commandment. But let's just say that the first commandment it deals actually with our state of mind, not with an action. They're not talking about just idols here that are carved out of wood and stone, certainly included. But we've written that off. And let me just say to to my own community of faith, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, we have written off the first commandment as if it doesn't even touch us. Why? Because we have very few of us, if any of us, have any inclination to fall down and worship an idol. We, when, when in just a few words, Jesus or God begins to say, you shall not make any image, we kind of write it off and say, we don't have idols of other gods. We don't worship them. It's not, that's not our thing. Almost as if we're exempt from the first couple of commandments. First of all, I don't have the skills to make a, a grave damage. I'm not a woodworker or a stone cutter. I don't, I don't have that kind of... I actually, though, a little fun fact here, Loveland, Colorado is the sculpture capital for our country. We've got, I've got sculptures, bronze sculptures, in my... We call them artists, bronze artists, in my congregation. Multiple. Mm-hmm. They, that's, they're professionals. That's what they do. And uh, their work can be seen in places like Loma Linda University or the General Conference, they create statues. Is that what this is talking about, right? So we've kind of just, we have breezed over all of this. But the first commandment, let me get out that, get get out of that rabbit hole and, and come back. The first commandment deals with what happens in our mind. That's the first commandment. At the very end, the 10th commandment, thou shall not covet, also deals with what's on our mind. Obviously, one, what's on our mind to God. The 10th one, what's on our mind to, to other people. What it does is, is it sets the law of God, the 10 words of covenant, apart from any other law in the history of civilization or religion. David Baker in his book, The Decalogue, actually bears it out and says, there is no other law of any culture or deity that refers to coveting. Why? Because that's an action of the mind and and law does not concern itself with that. Laws where you look over your shoulder to see if you're going to be punished for your action. That's what laws are. That's what we, how we kind of picture it. But what the, 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 Decalogue does, the 10 words of covenant, it says you don't have to look over your shoulder. This is not going to be judged in the courts on this planet. Mm. What it does is say, you've got you've to be looking up because there is one who reads your thoughts. This is more than, uh, a covenant is more than a law. In 
and I don't, I'm not going to argue with anybody that says, no, no, you can call it a law. Yes, you can call it a law. But in today's vernacular, we have, we have made a law something so much more superficial that it just has to deal with my actions. And so when we've come to the 10 words or the law, the 10 commandments as we've called them, we think of just our outward conduct. But a covenant has so much has to do with my mind. Going back to the example of my covenant with my wife, my vows. If I say to her, sweetie, I have not at all touched another woman. I have not gone, but I thought she would be offended, and rightly so. Jesus unpacks that later in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Right about the mind, because his whole idea here is that this is a covenant between us and our God, and a covenant touches even the dark, the the silent places, the the locked places of my of my life, my mind. No one that's not a that's not for the courts of of this earth. That's for a God who made me and I reflect his image. And now he says, no, this covenant has to do with your even your thoughts. That sets it apart from any other law in the history of this planet. And I had I had never realized that. I had never reflected on how just the op- the, the first and the tenth commandment bookend the entire law as to say, by the way, this is really after the most inner part of who you are. This is not a, a conduct. This is not a, a, a you do it and, and you, you can check it off. This has to do with the very core of who you are, even your thoughts. And I really like that because, you know, one of my, one of my favorite texts in the new Testament, um, I think is, is, a, is what you're just saying. It's, it's an application of the fourth commandment where, where Jesus says, you know, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest, you know, take my burden on you, uh, my yoke upon you. Cause my burden easy, my yoke is light. And, and, and so I think about, you know, you know, so the, 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 the whole, what you're saying is it is, a a complete part of who we are like our mind is there are is 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 where we truly are who we are and only the person knows what they're thinking and yet what you're saying is god the the law is telling us god goes right into our minds and and he can read our thoughts he can see you know where our hearts are is our heart following him or not do do we really love our neighbor or not? Are we are we really satisfied with what he's given us, or not? And we can do all kinds of things outwardly that may appear to to look like we we love God. We can appear to look like we love our neighbor. We can appear to love like look like we love our wives, even our children. But 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 God knows in our hearts, you know, what is really going on there. And 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 yeah, we do have this thing called sin that has kind of messed that up, right? Our, the sin has come in and, and kind of warped our minds so that we kind of don't think properly. And so, so God comes in with the fourth commandment saying, hey, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So he wants to give us rest in our minds. Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, that's, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking about that when, when you're saying that. I mean, we, we, I think we know that, but it's like, hey, he, you know, it's not just about physical rest. It's not just about, you like you were saying, physically building that, 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 mm-hmm. uh, that idol. Um, you know, it's, it's this complete emotional, spiritual, um, component. And, uh, and, and that's why it can't be law because law mm-hmm. couldn't, like you were just saying, I mean, I, I, I'm a 
affirming it because it's it's I'm just kind of joining you in the, in your journey here as as you're talking. Okay, so two more things, and I'll let you go. Uh, one is that God Himself, just a reminder, we've said this once, but God Himself has committed to to these vows, to these words of covenant, which also mean that He He's not looking for anybody else. We are His, and He's committed to us. He's He's not given up. He's not uh, coveting somebody else's. Uh, in his mind, in the very mind of God, talking about the the these ten words of covenant have to do with our thoughts. God is also saying, "My thoughts will always be pure." What does it say? I know the plans I have for you, uh, plans to prosper, not to harm. Plans. He's saying, even my thoughts about you. God doesn't ever have a thought that just thinks, mm, I don't like you. And the devil has painted him as one that is put off by who I am, how I look, how how I don't succeed or how I don't achieve or how I don't or who I'm not. And God is saying, I've never even had a thought like that. I'm committed to these vows with you. So that's one. Two is this, that the Decalogue, the Ten Words of Covenant. While I agree, and and the rabbis, <laughs> rabbinic tradition actually is interesting. We've often separated the laws uh, four and six. The first four having to deal with our relationship with God. The last six having to deal with our relationship with man. The rabbinic tradition is kind of split on this. Some say that fifth commandment is actually uh, goes with the first five: honor your parents, honor your father and your mother. That's who who gave us our father and our mother, and who, who do they stand in the place of? They are our life givers. They they reflect who God is. Um, and so some of the rabbis say, no, 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 that fifth one actually goes with the first five because how we treat our parents is how we treat God. And now some, and, and that's the perfect example to segue us into this point. Uh, some will say, yeah, but you don't know my parents. My father or my mother did or said or treated me. And that's true. And that's, it's terrible. It's not excusable. It, uh, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't, that if it was abusive, it should not be uh, handled. Um, but the entire Decalogue is between one person and their God. Nothing else matters. We think of, uh, yeah, you can only honor parents that are honorable. No, 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 sorry. There is nothing in the Decalogue in those 10 words of covenant that have anything to do with a third party. And we've entered third parties all the way through it. Well, if your parents are honorable, thou shalt not steal. Well, thou shalt not steal, but if, if, it's, if it's an organization or a government that's stealing from you, then you have the right to take back what, no. There is, in the covenant with God, it is a covenant strictly between me and God, which is why Jesus can say later, love your enemies. Because it has nothing to do, my conduct, wow. my response to the covenant with God has nothing to do with a third party wow. at all. There is no hint of that, which is also kind of sets the covenant of God, the law of God, apart from other laws, because they 
often played off. If you were rich or poor, if you were powerful or not, if you were male or female, it applied to you differently. If you were treated or if this happened, there were exceptions. Um, sometimes if, if something was on fire, then you had, a, you could do something then you couldn't do other times. But in with the covenant of God, uh, the covenant with, between me and God, there are no third party. There are no third parties. It's just me and God. So when he says, honor your father and your mother, I treat them while looking at, at Jesus. Mm. When he says, uh, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, but you don't know what my wife did. You don't know what that government or that my employer stole from me before. They took what was rightfully mine, so I'm going to take that whatever on my way out from getting mm-hmm. fired. You know, we kind of have this, I can do it. I'm justified because of their actions. And the law of God, the covenant of God is, is so different. There's no third parties in it. Wow. And, and so kind of, uh, you know, the theme of, of, uh, aventology, you know, is, is be ready for Jesus, you know, and we, you know, you can't deny, um, revelation when you look at the book of revelation, um, you know, that, that this, this relationship with God is, is, uh, either directly referred to, you know, um, several times like Revelation 12 verse 17, you know, um, here, here are those who, who keep the commandments of God and have the, have the, uh, testimony of Jesus, you know, Revelation 14, 12, um, here's the patience of the saints here, are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Then you go to, to Revelation, um, if it's 21 or 22, where it says, you know, who has the right to the tree of life? It's he who, who keeps the commandments. So, so here, and then, and then, and then also in Revelation 14, you say, you know, this, this also this picture of, you know, who are, who is this group of people who is waiting for Jesus? You know, they're referred to as the 144,000, you know, and, and they, and what does it say? They follow the lamb wherever he wherever goes. He right. Goes. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, wow. So, so you have this, this picture of of God's people in the last days, and 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 based on the lens that you've been sharing, and this is just my observation, but it's painting this picture of this like ultimate relationship with God that really defines this 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 last generation that is that is waiting for Jesus, and uh, and so just speak a little bit about that, just for you personally, you know, um, you know, because we do have a lot of things in the world that are, are trying to keep our eyes off Jesus. You know, that old hymn, um, can't, you know, we, we sing it all the time, turn your eyes upon mm-hmm. Jesus. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of the key to this whole, this whole discussion. So, so just as we kind of close, share a little bit about your own heart, about, you know, you know your own desire to see Jesus and, and how all this plays in as, as we look, as we get closer to that day. Mm-hmm. So I love that line that they follow the lamb wheresoever he goes. It's this picture, this this complete trust covenant relationship. I'm I'm with you wherever you take me, and uh, and that answers the question of how am I supposed to be when Jesus comes? What what state is my life supposed to be on? What level of perfection? And that's a whole nother conversation, but the I I think we like to draw lines of okay, this is what 
sinless or perfect would be. This is what acceptable would be. We draw lines and and God never draws lines. He's he's just saying, no, no, no. You go as far as the lamb decides to take you. And so I think we draw lines of what we, we think, uh, but it's clear. I have not seen nor ear heard nor has entered in the mind of man what God has prepared for those. We're not, that's not just talking about the mansions and glory. That's talking about what God wants to do in my heart. Wow. He, I can't think or I can't see or I've never even heard. I've never seen an example of what God wants to do for me. And so it's this individual covenant. That's what the the what we've always referred to as the Ten Commandments. That's what the Decalogue, the Ten Words of Covenant is. It's God saying to me, I'm coveting to you, and and if you and I stick together, I will take you to places that you have no idea of. And you will, you will, it will, it will, you just, you won't be able to wrap your mind around it. It'll blow your mind, so don't even try. I'll take you. Just keep the covenant with me. Go with the Lamb wherever you go. And that, at night, I can go to bed. I I don't, there's no checklist. The, The law is more the law, as we've the Ten Commandments, as we've referred, referred to it, is more special and more important and more profound and more difficult and more impossible to keep than I've ever imagined in my life. But I'm more at peace than ever because it's just he's he's covenanted with me. He's not going to leave me. He's my God. He's not going to trade me out, and I'm I'm His. And he's going to take me places that I can't even imagine. So just sit back, as they say, on your flight. and Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Um, let him be the one that decides my destination. And then when I see him, I'll recognize him. And when, when that moment happens, I'll see exactly, wow, I do look a lot like you, Jesus. I see what, you, what you've been doing all along. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. And that is why we spent the time today studying the heart and purpose of God's law with Pastor Michael Getz. But don't just take our word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website adventology.com where you can find the show notes and transcripts from all of our previous episodes also if you like this episode share it with a friend or better yet leave a rating and review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from it really makes a difference all right well i enjoyed our time together again today and look forward to seeing you back here on our next episode of adventology until then maranatha